stay hungry, stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I have a dream. We one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Hey there, listener. Thanks for stopping by. Before we get the podcast started today, I just wanted to tell you about my Patreon. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and donating some money, all you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash K-I-P-P-O-D. And there's three separate tiers there where you can get exclusive content, ad-free content, and you can even suggest questions for me to ask future guests on the podcast. So guys, make sure to check out my Patreon. Also, make sure to share this podcast on your social media accounts, link it to Spotify, review it on Apple. I would very much appreciate that. So thanks, guys, and enjoy the episode. Here we go. Testing, testing. Test, test, test. Hello. Yeah, you might want to keep it a little closer, and it comes out, too, if you want to sit back and hold it. But just, I don't know what it is about this. It'll pick up the dog barking and the lawnmower, but then when you're talking, it won't pick. <laughs> but, I mean, it was kind of on a budget. All right. Three, two. Hello, and welcome to the Knowledge is Power podcast. I'm your host, Max Willett. And today, I have another special guest, Jeremy Walsh of The Right Click. And like my past three guests now, I met him through BNI. And Jeremy, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me here, Max. No uh, my name is Jeremy Walsh. Um, I also know Max through BNI. I've been a BNI member here in the great state of Rhode Island uh, since 2002. So I think almost as long as Max has been alive. Yeah. Um, I've been a member of that, <laughs> that BNI chapter. Um, and my business is the Right Click. Uh, we're we're basically we're a small computer company that does a lot of managed services and break fix stuff, and we do have a a couple of retail locations here in in Rhode Island, in Providence, Westerly, and South Kingstown. Very cool. So, um, tell us a little bit more about you know your business. Maybe a, test, a couple of testimonials or some oddball things that you know maybe you, people wouldn't know that your company does, but does do. <laughs> sure. Um, well, we kind of break our company down into like three three different parts of our company. Uh, so we have. The, the retail stores, right? And the retail stores really, not, I, I hate to say retail because it's more um, like people walk in with their computers and we fix them. So um, I kind of like to say it's a lot of uh, people that spill glasses of wine on their keyboards. Like and, my mom. <laughs> and download too much porn. Oh, geez. Not your mom. No. Um, but that's kind of a lot of what we do is yeah. just people that break them or don't know what they're doing. Um, and also a lot of people that buy a new computer and they want all their family photos transferred from the one computer over to the other computer. And, you know, we help them with that. Uh, we don't really sell a lot of stuff through the retail stores, uh, which is why I hesitate to call it retail. But we do help people buy custom computers. Um, although a lot of times, especially in, in that situation, it's actually cheaper for them to go and buy a computer themselves at, you know, like a Walmart or a Staples or something like that because they have more purchasing power than we do. Um, and then we'll help them after they actually pick out what they want. We'll send them with specs and everything they need to, you know, walk out of there with yeah. a computer. But that's exactly what you guys did for me. I didn't even buy anything from you, but I walked mm-hmm. in the store asking about upgrading this computer, my MacBook, uh, possibly getting some more RAM and storage. And then, you know, Joel, right? Yep. Is that was the thing? He recommended that I just get a Windows machine. And uh, <laughs> I did. And I'm sort of a Windows guy now, um, but I've always been an Apple guy. So it's a thing as I'm like buried. I got the watch. I got the MacBook. I got the phone. I got the iPad. I have the AirPods. So it, it I kind of, you know, I don't know. I'm, I guess it's just, I'm just buried in the Apple mindset, but that was awesome. Like I walked in there and I told them I needed it for SolidWorks. They did their research. They told me they wrote down on a sticky note. I went to Best Buy and bought one. And that and that was great. But eventually, if I ever have employees, I'll definitely order them through you. If I need like you know several computers, that's that's where you guys come into play, yeah, right? When absolutely. You, yeah. With with businesses is really the the, the more uh, you know, busier part of our business. Um, you know the. 
But with computers, just going back to what you said, I mean, we're happy to help customers. And it's not always about just making a quick buck. It's more, you know, we have kind of a policy that if we can help you in under five minutes, it's free. Mm -hmm. And we do that a lot. You know, you come in, we'll tell you what to get. You know, we don't own the knowledge. We just, you know, we're happy to share that knowledge with people and, you know, send them off in the right direction. I think that's really been one of our signature factors that have kept us around so long is that we're, we're, we're really, we're just here to help you. Um, you know, because we do this as a business, it's just a bonus, but um, we're really primarily here to help people. Um, but yeah, the second part of our business really, um, after after the retail, kind of the, the next part is really 80% of our business is dealing with other businesses. Um, whether it's one computer at somebody's house in their basement, um, or if it's a, uh, you know, our largest clients have, you know, 100 and, 100 and so computers, 100, 120 computers. Uh, although our sweet spot is that like the 20 to 40 computer network, the um, you know, mid-level insurance agencies and mm-hmm. law firms and you know, payroll companies, you know, those types of businesses that you know, we find with about 20 to 40 computers, they, they have enough work that we're always, always have something to do, but not so much work that you know, everybody feels overwhelmed and they don't yeah, you know, once once you hit like 75 to 100 computers, you pretty much need an in-house staff at that point, um, or at least somebody really good that's handling, you know, the day-to-day stuff like plugging in keyboards and you know somebody's mouse isn't working or you know telling them to reboot every yeah. day, you know that type of thing. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean your company. It's funny because my aunt actually went to you guys a couple of years ago, and she had nothing but great things to say about you, and I didn't even know you then, so I know you been great for many years uh and it's just it's it's sort of one of those things that you don't know you need it until you do because i mean if i if if i hadn't have gone to you guys like i probably would have shipped this off to apple and said i need more storage and then they would have charged me an astronomical (laughs) amount to do that because that's what they do and it's kind of a brilliant business model but i mean if you think about it probably 90 percent of their clientele are uneducated on computers and they just tell them to fix it and pay whatever amount They're like this is what it costs i'll pay it and it's good to know that companies like you exist uh when it comes to that so um when it came to starting your own business if you want to talk like what what were you doing before you started your own business and what uh made you want to get into it and start your own business sure um i I never wanted to start a business yeah. <laughs> ever. There was nothing that I ever, ever even dreamed of or thought of. You know, nobody in any part of my family ever has ever owned their own business uh, that I know of. Um, and you know, my father worked for the postal service. Uh, you know, for he started pretty much started with the postal service and you know retired with them. So you know, I always just assumed I was going to do something corporate or you know something like that. Um, I graduated school. Uh, I graduated from UConn um, with a degree in philosophy. So absolutely nothing to do with computers and yep. nothing to do with small business. Um, but when I was at college, um, I I was working the restaurant system because I, I just I got you know a job to get through college and um, I got to be really good friends with the guy that was working in the restaurant, but he really was running the database system for all of the dining services on campus. And this was, you know, back in the early nineties when, you know, nothing was online yet really. And, you know, we were still dealing a lot with, you know, localized databases. And I just got to know him and believe it or not, we started out by just doing a lot of gaming after work. I'd, my shift would be over at like 11 o'clock or midnight and we would just hang out and play stuff like, you know, like doom yeah. the original version, yeah. <laughs> you know, on the network computers. And then he, I started needing to upgrade my computer and to do different things. And he would patiently teach me how to do that. I'm like, Hey, I'm actually kind of pretty good at this. So after I graduated, um, I went and I don't want to say I lied my way into my first job, but I, um, I, I, took advantage of the truth a little bit, if you will. Um, (laughs) As as long as you're good at it, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I just, I I went to my interview. I went to an interview. It was for Oxford Health Plans um, and just said, hey, listen, you know, I graduated with a degree of philosophy and philosophy is, it's really just the study of human logic. And it's taking any belief system you have, whether it's about 
politics or whether it's about religion or whether it's about law or whether it's you believe in God or don't believe in God, whether, you know, reality even exists. But no matter what, what it is, it's just taking logic and trying to prove it and making sure that it all you know, lines up and there's no you know, loopholes to it. And that's really all that computers are. Computers are just as complex as the programs are. It's just a bunch of if-then statements. If you click this button, then this is going to happen. If you put this here, then this goes there. And that, that even artificial intelligence is just more complex versions of these if-then statements. So I kind of told them that. And they said, sure, we'll give you a job in the IT department, I guess. And they did. Um, I didn't enjoy corporate America, though. Yeah. Um, I lasted one year. Um, and I was, uh, have you ever seen, have you ever seen that movie, um, office space? No, no, no. it's, it's the one where, um, who's in it? Like Jennifer Aniston and, um, what's that guy's name? What year did it come out? Oh, probably the early two thousands. I think it was. Um, but it's all about working corporate, corporate America and stuff like that. And there's this one guy in, in there that by a glitch in the system, he's still working and he's just like big overweight like sweaty greasy guy that isn't even supposed to be on payroll anymore they keep moving him down to different departments because they don't want to fire him and face a lawsuit or something but he um essentially that was my boss Uh, and it's the guy in the movie that is it's the red stapler guy but he, he was literally my boss they moved him into a closet in like a literally a 12 by max your office here is probably five times the size easily oh of the closet God. that I was stuck with this guy and one other person with. And we were responsible for rolling out software on 40,000 whatever corporate computers. But we did it all from like this 10 by 12 closet. Wow. And I knew I was never going to get a VP parking spot, especially working for him that they kept hiding in smaller and smaller closets. So I kind of uh, I left at that point. But it was actually a BNI referral that got me out of there. Huh. So I was my mother back in this was back in 1997 or 1998. My mother, my mother-in-law was in a BNI chapter in the New York area. She owns a uh, a framing studio and an art gallery, and we she was hosting like an after-hours event back when we could actually still see people in person. Mm-hmm. And uh, this computer guy from the area who wasn't a BNI member was just there checking it out and. Uh, was talking to my wife who was working for her mother at the time and said, yeah, you know, I'm looking to expand my business. And I was like, well, my husband's a computer guy, I guess. You want to talk to him? So they kind of made a referral there, set up an interview, and I quit my job in corporate America and went and worked for him. Mm-hmm. I was a consultant for him for about five years, and that's really where I started learning about small business. I would just, I was Manhattan and, you know, all through the New Jersey, Long Island, Westchester, White Plains. I was a consultant just driving all over that area every day, going to small businesses. And, you know, in 2002, I just decided to move to Rhode Island and said, how hard could it possibly be to start a business? So I did. Yeah. I guess that's a mindset you have to have wanting to start your own business. Yep. And how hard could it be? And I was young. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What made you want to move to Rhode Island? Uh, that was kind of another kind of random, uh, coincidence. My, my wife's father, um, my, or that whole side of the family, they vacationed in, um, Long Beach Island down in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. like every year for a hundred years. I don't know how long, a long, long time, way before I was part of the family. And, uh, back in, I think it was 2000, um, Something happened. They had, they had rented the same house for like 10 years. Something house happened where the house changed hands or something, and it was like going to double or triple in price for the weekly rental. Um, and they just said, oh, my God, it's ridiculous. I don't know if you realize this, but there's a ton of people from New Jersey. Yeah. Here in, oh, yeah. In Rhode Island, they just happened to be talking to somebody that had bought a house in Rhode Island down in Green Hill Beach. And they had told them, oh, yeah, you can buy it. You can buy property really cheap in Rhode Island. And so they ended up buying a a house like one block off the ocean that, you know, even paying the mortgage on that was cheaper than renting the place in New Jersey. Wow. Um, And it was just their summer home for a couple of years. And then they moved up here and we were up visiting them. And again, I had no plans of moving here or anything, but we had been looking for a house down. We were living in Danbury 
could not afford a house to save our lives. Um, you know, they back. This is back again, back in two thousand and two, when they were looking for like four or five hundred thousand dollars for these tiny little postage stamp houses, and you know, it was still like an hour commute away from my office, and I was on the road all day to begin with, and it just it was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. So completely as a joke, we had only been pre-approved for two hundred thousand dollars in Connecticut. We said to the real estate agent, "Hey, do you have anything for two hundred thousand dollars?" And she's and we expected them to say no because we've been getting laughed at for months and months and months. And um, she showed us like 30 houses wow. that weekend. And we didn't like any of them. But we went to meet up with her at the end of the day at a house that she was in the process of flipping. And we said, oh, well, is this house on the market? She said, no, not yet. And like, well, we'll take it. And we put our down payment on the house that day, even though it wasn't going to be ready for a couple of months. And we... Uh, both went back, kind of quit our jobs, and moved to Rhode Island. Wow. Um, and I didn't have enough money in my bank account <laughs> to make the first mortgage payment oh, um, wow. when we moved up here, but we both started our own businesses anyway. Oh, wow. What did you... I didn't know your wife had her own business. What does she yeah, do? Yeah, she does. She's uh, she's an artist. Okay. So um, she does all sorts of different types of art. She does uh, painting and pottery and jewelry and... You know, a bunch of stuff. She actually, she did a blog. So um, this was going back about three or four years, I think. But she did a 365 blog where every single day for a year, she worked on a piece of art or created a new piece of art and then wrote a blog about it and took pictures and all that kind of stuff. Did not miss a single day, whether she was sick. I, we went to my grandmother's funeral that year. She was writing her blog using my oh hotspot, my. you know, in the car on the way back from the funeral. Um, but every single day for a year, uh, she she did a 365 blog. Wow, um, that's that's pretty. Especially that did that catch on? Did it get pretty popular? Yeah, she still does it. Uh, yeah. she's, she doesn't do it every single day now. She uh, probably does two to three posts a week. I want to say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's popular enough that. You know, she's been nervous about starting an Etsy store. Yeah. And then finally, a couple of months ago, she she started it. And pretty much every time she uploads stuff to it, it's sold out in like two days. Wow. And so, and why, why were you so scared? But yeah. she, she's, she's doing really well. I've heard like so many mixed things about Etsy. Like I've heard great things and I heard people absolutely trash it. It's weird because I know somebody who sells um, uh, like superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he he has a cricket and he puts it puts like vinyl on shot glasses and stuff okay. like that. And he makes and he does like light switches with you know superheroes on them. Yeah, and he does really well on Etsy. But then I'll see you know, and then people will complain about um, the percentages that they take. So and and I guess you can't really get avoid that especially in the electronic invoicing world, mm. like no matter what software you use, you're going to get a percentage taken out. Well, you're, you're, they're giving you the platform and they're giving you the exposure. Yeah. And yeah, I, I forget who I was talking to, but um, I did the 10,000 small business program, which is amazing. If anybody ever gets a chance to take it, yeah. it really is the, the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small businesses is it's a game changer. Uh, but one of the guys that was in my cohort you know, I think he, he spends, I think he told me something like $10,000 a month on Facebook advertising. Oh my God. But it doubles his revenue at least every time he, every time he does it. But it's one of those things where as soon as you stop doing it, it turns off the spigot. So it's, you know, you're basically at that point, you're paying a partner, which is what Etsy is. You're, yeah. you're paying them, you're paying a partner to use their fame and their, yep. their clout in order to have that platform. You can just as easily get off of Etsy, go build your own website and go build your own platform. You won't have to pay a percentage, but you will have to pay to host it. You're going to have to pay to advertise. You're going to have to pay to do all of those things that Etsy is doing yeah. for you. Yeah. Um. So sort of the, the thing I've been talking about in the past couple podcasts is uh, marketing. So marketing is obviously different for every company. Uh, and what sort of marketing has been most effective for your company? Word of mouth, Google ads, Facebook, things like that. So, Well, two things that you may or may not know about me mm-hmm. is I'm relatively stubborn and I'm relatively cheap. So I don't do any advertising whatsoever. Really? Uh, 
almost none. Um, I, I had it in my head way back in the beginning that, you know, I, I was told that B and I could grow my business. So I wanted to prove a point that B and I could grow my business. And that is literally the only advertising I do, um, is networking through, through B and I and through the chamber and through things like that. Um, I, I'll do the occasional, you know, like the football team comes and says, oh yeah, you know, can you put an ad in our, you know, our, you know, whatever fundraiser thing or the, that the pamphlet for the football team or, you know, whatever. And I'll almost always do those. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as regular advertising campaigns or marketing, I, I, I think I've cumulatively spent $57 on Facebook ads just to see if I, like I put five bucks here and five bucks there to see if it would work. And I just, yeah, I couldn't do it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, almost all of our clients though, like one of the, one of the really cool things is that, you know, when you, when you get a lot of clients through word of mouth, um, they're exceptionally loyal because they're coming from a referred source and they don't want to break that trust. Um, so unless you do a really bad job, most of the time you're going to get that client and keep that client for a long time. Um, so our, our retention rate, um, especially with our managed services clients is almost a hundred percent. Wow. We lose most of the time we lose clients because either they've outgrown us, you know, which, you know, we're so happy for them when they outgrow us. It means that they've gone, you know, like one of our clients is, um, You've heard the the heavy hitter, yeah, Rob, Rob Levine. Oh, he's yeah, he's he's one of our clients. Yeah. He's still one of our clients, but he's one of our biggest clients. That we started with him when I think it was he was in our BNI chapter actually, way back in like two thousand and I want to say five two thousand and eight something like that. But he was he was the president of our BNI chapter, and uh, that was when he was first starting his business. And I think it was just him, maybe maybe one other lawyer and like seven paralegals. And that's when he started using us as a BNI referral. Um, and now, I mean, he's got his opening offices in other countries. He's, you know, he's had up over a hundred and something employees at one point. But yeah, um, you know, we we love it when they grow to that size. And you know, if he was to come to us tomorrow and say, yeah, you know, we kind of really need to hire five in-house IT people. Do- all right, sorry for that quick and abrupt uh, little pause there, but we're back. So, Jeremy, we lost train of thought there for a second, um, but I don't know if you remember what you were saying. Yeah, just um, I think I was just saying that you know, we love it when our clients outgrow us because it means that they're successful and we helped them to get there. And even even if it's just in a little tiny small way, um, you know, obviously they have to grow their own business, but we provided the support to do that. So. Um, we love it when that happens. Um, yeah. Do you think that there's any uh, way that you guys might expand into doing that sort of services for larger companies, or is that do you want to just stay where you? Not are? really. Um, it, it's just it's we have this conversation internally every now and again. Um, you know, with with all the managers, and we're like, yeah, because we we reevaluate our services. So um, you know. Occasionally we say, okay, well, you know, this, this one client or this client, or do we want to go after that market of, you know, a hundred computers, 150, 200 computers, whatever it is. And the fact is we just don't, <laughs> we're really, really happy in the small business space. And I think it, that has a lot to do with our personalities where we are a very family oriented and low key company. Um, like when we take on a client, we pretty much right out of the gate before we even, you know, hire each other as client and you know provider. I just want you to realize that we do not provide 24 by seven service. And I know that's a big thing in the tech industry. Everybody's providing 24 seven coverage. We're not going to wake up at three in the morning and pick up the phone. I'm sorry. It's just not who we are. It's not mm-hmm. who we want to be. We would like all of our employees to be able to at, you know, five or six o'clock at night, go home, enjoy their families, not be on the phone, not be on the computer, and, you know, have, have a life outside of work. And, you know, because we're dealing with small businesses, we also know that they can only pay a certain amount and we don't really want to outsource our stuff either. I mean, I could theoretically, I guess, you know, change my business model and start hiring people from India and, you know, overseas and get that 24 by seven coverage. But I, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. Hey there. 
Sorry to interrupt the episode, but I just want to take this chance to tell you to share the podcast on your social media platforms. Link it on your Instagram story. Follow Knowledge is Power underscore Rhode Island on Instagram and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening on that platform. So thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Um, yeah. you know, I, I like hiring local. I like hiring um, you know, people in the community and helping local families to put food on the table. And you know, it's just, it's just kind of not who we want to be. Although I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm never going to do it or never consider it because we do consider it all the time. Um, but you know, at least now and for the past 19 years, it's not what we've wanted to do. Yeah. It's tough uh, because you want to grow, but you also want to stay local. You know what I mean? Cause, um, like I, I, I talk about the e-myth a lot. That was a great book. It's my, one of my favorites. I, I still have, and I say was, I still have like a quarter left. I've been like trying to finish it, um, but it's so good. Like, who's the guy that wrote it? Uh, is that, that that one's Gerber, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, that sounds familiar. But um, I haven't looked at it in like a few, couple of weeks, but I got to finish it. Um, <laughs> but the, it's, it's different to when you run a business and think about things to actually see it on a piece of paper and reading it and, and ha- having it drawn out for you in somebody else's uh, situation, like with the pie shop, mm-hmm. like that was a perfect example. And she, the, the owner was, she was a technician, right? She yep. was a baker. And, um, it's, it's really interesting to see how she grew and it kind of got out of hand and she didn't realize it until, she, you know, he told her and it, and, I don't know how that relates back to what we were talking about, but <laughs> it was just it's just really cool and uh, interesting. But um, yeah, so when it, I guess we're backtracking a little bit, but word of mouth marketing is key to your business and how you've grown. It is, yeah. again, 99% of our business is word of mouth in one way or another. Yeah. Um, you know, and I can directly trace over 50% of it to actual BNI referrals. Wow. Um, although it, it's got to be higher than that because I've, I I don't track it as well as I used to way back in the beginning because I don't do my own books anymore. Um, but the uh, it, it definitely for us has worked. Um, you know, we're considering doing something like a mailing in the near future just to see if we can, you know, with our retail shops, get into the local areas a little bit more, like even in Providence, because I don't do any traditional advertising and it's not a very prominent place on the street. We, we really don't get much, if at all, walk-in traffic at our Providence store. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in South Kingstown, because it's right in the middle of that plaza, we get quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so we're considering doing maybe a couple of mailings, uh, you know, something like that, which we've never done before. Um, I don't know, throw it to the wall, see what sticks. And yeah, and you don't even do. Do you have like any social media accounts or anything like that? I do. Okay, I have, but they're all. <laughs> I I run them. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I we did. I did have a marketing guy. Uh, his name's Mark Bevington from Nine Dot Communications uh, out of Providence. Again, BNI member way back in in the early two thousands. And I, I had him on retainer for many, many years, but mostly just to do my, you know, he did do all the branding and the, you know, the color schemes and all that kind of stuff so that we have a consistent look through all of our stores. Um, and if I needed printed material, you know, I would go to him. You know, he tried to get me to do the Facebook stuff and the social media stuff and the yeah. Instagram and the, you know, we did the whole you know, hoot suite and whatnot. And uh, it just, I couldn't get on board with it. I just, I didn't have the energy yeah. to, to, because you really have to put a lot of time and energy yeah. or money to make this. Either you, either you got to pay for the eyeballs or you got to kind of trick the eyeballs and into into looking at your stuff and acting yeah. on it. Yeah, it, it's definitely interesting to see how different companies go about doing it. Because like Javon, Jeremy Von Flattern, um, <laughs> he, he's been doing a lot of that TikTok. So, same thing with Benjamin Blackett. Yep. He's, he's been posting videos every day. I see him on TikTok posting. And... All it takes is one video, and once he goes viral, like that video will take off. You know, he gets tens of thousands of followers and everything like that, and it's basically free advertising, mm-hmm. other than the tripod that he bought. And <laughs> I mean, TikTok, I think, is is it's definitely a millennial or you know Gen X app, but there I see a lot of pe- businesses using it, and it's a brilliant, in my opinion, source of advertising because. All you got to do is open the app and press record. Like you could 
I don't know, maybe have one of your employees be like, hey, this is a situation that happened. Uh, you know, somebody spilled wine on their laptop mm -hmm. and this is what we do. This is the short, shortened one minute process of what we do. And then show a video of you handing it back to the happy customer or something like that. Yep. And, and like those quick cut, like quick cuts are, are what makes a good video now because people have such a short attention span. It's, <laughs> it's crazy short. It's just boom, 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 boom. This is what happened. And then you're like, oh, that's pretty sweet. Next video. But then you still sort of remember it because that like and the follow is what it's such I sound like such a 19 year old saying this, <laughs> but it, it's it's really good advertising, in my opinion. But I can understand. I mean, how word of mouth is is unbeatable, especially in your industry. It's it is. It's still word of mouth in the, in, in the digital age. Yeah. Right. Um, exactly. Okay. So it just either either way you do it. It either takes money or it takes work. So you either need to be on top of the social media, meaning you're doing those one minute clip videos, but you yeah. got to do, you can't just do one of yeah. them a week. You have yeah. to do like 10 of them a day yeah. and, and, and you got to be constantly on top of it and you got to be responding to, yeah. to them. And you know, when somebody likes you or somebody sends you a comment, you got to comment back on it. You got to do all that kind of stuff. You have to follow the other people so that you get the tendrils going out in all the different directions and you've got to cross promote it, you know, cross post it, do yeah. all that stuff. It, it's, it's work. You could hire somebody to do it. Essentially, you could hire, hire somebody to do employee. all that. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's. It, I'm, I agree, a hundred percent. It's powerful. It's just something I haven't been able to personally, you know, just get on board with and 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 do or make the investment to hire somebody to do it for me. Yeah. So when you when you first started your business in two thousand and two. Um, what was the, like the first, like biggest hurdle that made you sit back and be like, whoa, like, am, or did that happen to you? Like, am I going to be able to do this? Was there any hurdles like that? Um, well, I, I kind of thank my wife for pushing me over the hurdle. Yeah. Um, so when I first started out, um, I actually, you know, I, I always say that I joined BNI like the minute I moved to Rhode Island, which is partially true. So I, I applied, I was looking for a BNI chapter before I even moved to Rhode Island. And the minute I moved to Rhode Island, I started applying at the BNI chapter, but they didn't take me right away because I was brand new, brand new business. They didn't know how I was gonna survive. I had no contacts, nobody I could refer. They didn't, you know, I, I didn't even know anybody in Rhode Island except my father-in-law. So we, um, I, uh, I was still working for my old boss down in New York. He was nice enough to keep me on basically as a consultant a couple of days a week. So, you know, I would, I would commute down to New York. I'd drive, I'd stay at my mother-in-law's house. I'd drive down there on, you know, either Sunday night or like first thing, like five o'clock in the morning on Monday morning. I would stay with her like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then I would drive back to Rhode Island, try to visit a BNI chapter on like Thursday and literally just drive around the state with a pamphlet, a trifold pamphlet with the right click on it and the services and walk into a business and say, hey, I'm new in town. Do you need your computer fixed? And I did that for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months, you know, probably about three months it was until, you know, B&I was ready to finally take me. I, you know, I'd been in business a couple of months at that point. And my wife finally just told me to, you know, poop or get off the pot. Yeah. And, and I did, and I just kind of had to jump in with both feet. And at that point, you know, BNI started to kick in. I started to really put some attention into that, into the whole networking thing. And I, I, I can say I really only picked up about two or three, um, referrals knocking door to door. Um, but the biggest referral that I did receive from that was the fact that one of the people that I did knock on their door put in a good word for me at BNI and that's what got me accepted and that's what got me on the path to the rest of it. Wow. Cool. Um, so was there any, like as you grew through BNI, Oh, and definitely becoming a prominent figure within BNI has helped a lot too, because everybody knows you that's in BNI, right? Like anybody I've ever talked to, even if it's through somebody else through BNI, they know who you are. And uh, that's probably helped a lot with your business. It's helped a lot well. with it. That's, that's yeah. how the word of mouth has worked. Yeah very well um but was there ever like once you started to grow was um what was the you know most difficult thing to handle you know as you started to grow in a company with employees and and things like that 
letting go. And it, this goes back to the e-myth. And that's it's been, you can read something and you can comprehend something and you can understand something, but to actually implement something is a whole different ball game. And sometimes even when you think you're implementing it the right way, when you look back on it, you will say kind of what a fool I was. Um, but the, the, the important lesson that I, that I've learned that it's, it's still very hard to do, but is to, to let go at certain points. So, and knowing when to let go and what to let go of is the hard part. So like the, the first thing I knew I needed to let go of was, was billing. Um, so it got to the point I had hired two employees, um, cause I, I was just, I was so busy. You know, the first employee I hired because I knew I was about to have a kid and I, I, I couldn't just do it all myself anymore. So hired somebody. So that was a big leap, but then I hired a second person. And at that point, the billing got out of control. I was only doing billing like once every two months, you know, the clients were calling to beg me to send them a bill so they could pay me money. And it was my least favorite thing to do. And that was the first thing I had to finally let go of was, um, you know, bringing in that and then, you know, letting go of, you know, I thought I was the, the only guy that could do everything on the road. And I was the best guy with servers and I was the best guy with clients and I was the best guy doing sales calls and I was the best guy at this. But then, you know, coming off of the road and now working in the office and, you know, trying to develop the remote support department, you know, that took a lot to let go of being on the road and not being that, you know, the micromanager perfectionist out there and letting somebody else excel in that space. Um, you know, and then the same thing, you know, when I took on the BNI Connect project, doing support for BNI, having to actually let go of even more parts of my company in order to just step back and kind of really see it from the outside and not micromanage every last little part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so letting go, letting go and letting other people shine in the space where you thought you were the only expert. So That's definitely interesting because a lot of people go into business to be their own boss and to have somebody come in and say, you know, at your company, no, you're doing this wrong. I can see how that'd be difficult because, I mean, I, I def that definitely would be something that I'd have to be like, hey, like, no, you know, like, or I'd have to sit back and let them. Well, you've do got their what thing. nine nine machines here, right? Yeah. You're about to have ten. Yeah. How many? How and I'm put you on the spot here. Yeah. How many of those machines do you think you can physically run at one time and be efficient? And do all the other stuff you need to do to, to run your company, like do the design work and do the books and go to BNI and do the advertising and do your TikTok videos and do this podcast and do and actually go, still go to school and maybe have a life outside. Yeah. But so probably probably 20 or 30, I would bet. And at that point, if I had any more than that, then that means I'm getting a lot of business and I could afford to have somebody to help me. And the great thing is, is I'm 10 minutes from you or I, so there's probably a lot of people <laughs> that would, would love to help me. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. Like I haven't really thought of it yet, but there's this, there's this company. He it's called the galactic armory and he 3d prints a bunch of star Wars stuff. And he has 53 printers in a garage and this mass, it's mm. not a garage. It's a garage. It's like a warehouse and he runs them by himself uh well from that that i know of he might have a couple employees because he's got you know almost a hundred thousand subscribers on youtube I'm, I'm sure he could afford <laughs> probably to have a couple employees but the great thing about these machines are yeah they break but they're easy to fix and that's a big daunting thing when you first get into 3d printing is am i going to be able to fix it it's a really simple machine these fdm 3d printers it's three stepper motors and two belts on you know, some aluminum rails. Mm -hmm. Like it's really, even the board, it's just unscrew, unplug, and put the new ones in. You know, sometimes you'll have to solder things, <laughs> but I haven't had to do that. It's just like if you buy Creality, which is probably the best brand out of China, um, and that's best brand out of China, right? <laughs> um, doesn't mean it's great, but you really don't have to do any soldering. And it's great. Um, there's, there is like the CR 10, like those, that one I have on the bottom shelf right there. Yep. Like it does have more soldering than like the Ender 3 does because 
more more of the wires are directly connected to the board and they're not plugged in. Um, but it's it's really easy. So I think maybe 50 even, depending on how it goes and what I'm printing and how many different... Because if I'm getting one job, and but they need 5,000 pieces and I'm just doing it over and over again, I could probably do that. <laughs> but if I'm getting... 50 jobs and they're all different and they need to be sliced every single time that's where things would get iffy if i could do that you know because it's i have to go on my computer and do things over and over and over and over and over and, you know 50 times mm-hmm. and then load up the printers with the filament and put the sd cards in and sometimes excuse me i don't slice it right and i have to reslice it and then do things like that you gotta think about human error too like that happens to me all the time yep. You know, it's not even the printer's fault. I just sliced it on the wrong printer and put it on, you know, sliced it on a big printer, put it on a small printer, and then it and then Messed it breaks it itself. You know, because a 3D printer is, a, is the smartest, stupidest machine because it does what <laughs> it does what you tell it to do. Even as, if it's most machines. Yeah, even if it means it's going to destroy itself. If it, if it needs to move uh, 300 millimeters this way and it only has a 200 millimeter build plate, it's going to move 300 <laughs> millimeters whether you like it or not, <laughs> you know, and it's going to make the worst noise you could imagine. And you're just going to be like, Oh my God. And what you just I shut just it do? off. Yeah. And it's just like, it's, yeah, I don't, it's yeah. just, well, it, regardless of whether it's 50 or yeah. whether it's 20 at some point, assuming you're good at what you do, which you are very good at what you do, you're going to have to start peeling off certain responsibilities to give to other people. Yeah. And whether that is just loading filament in the machines um, or whether it is, you know, removing the finished product off the machines, because they all have to be kind of like sanded, right? You have to kind of clean them up a little bit yeah, to get the extra filaments off the bottom or whatever pedestals they use to hold up certain mm-hmm. outcroppings or whatever. But at some point, you're going to have to give up some of that stuff. Yeah. To like, somebody else. Like the company I worked for in, in Quonset, they had a post-processing department. So after the print was done, you went and put it in that room, and he took took the support off and packaged it. Like, mm-hmm. that was his job. And we did all the slicing and everything. Like, there was – but there was only – they have, like, 12 machines, but they're industrial. Right. So they can push out more parts. Um, but they have they have two guys now. I don't know if they've hired anybody since I've left – but when I left, they had two guys, and before they had two guys running them, like they did perfectly fine, and they were, they were great at it, and they still are. And um, I think that would, I think that telling me, yeah, I could probably do a lot because these printers aren't as, I mean, when one of those machines breaks, like it takes a while, mm. but they don't break as often, so it's like, uh, it's like <laughs> it's it's weird, but yeah, it's it's. <sighs> It's a, definitely a question that I hope I have to answer at some point. <laughs> so, but that that that's the lesson. That's yeah. the lesson that that I had to learn was figure out which parts of the business am I willing to let go of, yeah. right? And which which parts of the business could somebody be better than me at, or which parts of the business could somebody be as acceptably good? And you know, a lot of times you do have to learn to accept that, you know, if you really are that good. And nobody else is going to be that good. If you actually do want to grow, then you need to let other people be maybe 80% as good and still be able to perform in that space. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely hope I have to answer that. But, you know, just got to keep... You don't yet. I de- definitely want to keep, you know, marketing and things like that. Um, but I definitely... I need to... Uh, I want to talk to somebody at the Rhode Island Manufacturers Association. And I've been trying to get in contact, but I don't know anybody who knows anybody that, you know, is in it. So, mm. yeah, because it's, it's one of those, I don't know. I don't I can't really speak on it because I've never been in it. But um, I don't know if it's like BNI because it is like the companies that are in it are all massive. You know, like you have $100 million companies in that association. Um, so I don't know if they just squash a little guy. That's what I'd be afraid of. So I'd have to I'd have know. to look into it. Um, but I'm sure if you keep networking around somebody, you'll, somebody you'll you'll find a connection. Yeah, and that, and the great thing about 3D printing is all it takes is one product, right, to get you that kickstart. Mm. And once you get that one little niche item going, uh, like for that guy, it's it's the Star Wars stuff. For one other YouTuber I watch, it was it was mailbox flags. 
right? Like you 3D printed those <laughs> and he sold a lot of them. Uh, and What's your favorite thing to print right now? <sighs> prototypes. That's the thing is like finding the people who need them is tough. Uh, luckily, I have a great connection in Providence who sends me a lot of work for, for prototyping. Uh, I can't disclose what that is, but <laughs> he sends me a, a lot of great work and the best thing about it is it pays well. So uh, that's that's sort of my favorite thing to print. Um, but I do really like the lithophanes, like those. I would show it to you, but I sent I sent uh, the one I made with Jan, um, the one for my grandmother up in Maine, she, my dad's mom. That was my mm-hmm. mom's mom. Uh, but she, I sent that to her, and it, it's awesome. Like it's literally on off. Like I don't know if you watched the video. But, I haven't seen it yet, no. Oh, everybody else has. No, <laughs> I promise, I promise, I'll watch it, I'll watch it. I'm just kidding. It, it's, it's so hard. I spend all of my day in front of a screen, Yeah. but I spend very little time actually like just browsing or on the internet or yeah. watching a video or even on so because I'm constantly just you know, in email yeah. or tickets or you know, whatever, things like that, that, yeah. that the minute I'm done with my last ticket, the next thing I'm doing is not picking up the phone and watching something else. Yeah. So I... I have so, such a backlog of things that I need to, to to just watch, even if they're little five minute things or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess that's a good problem to have. Just be to be busy. You know, makes the days go by better faster. than the other way. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, so I guess I'd like to touch on this a little bit. You know, since you did go to college for philosophy, um, I talked about the value of a college degree in the modern, I don't know, society we have. Uh, and I guess it's different for everybody, but in the overall scheme, do you think a college degree is, you know, is it necessary to be successful in modern, in the modern society? I, I don't know how to answer that because I'm not looking for a job right now in modern society. Yeah. So I would say in the human experience, um, no, it probably isn't, uh, the actual college degree itself. I think. I think that college to me is more of a good buffer in learning how to live on your own while still in somewhat of a protected bubble. So meaning that, you know, you go off to college, you're not with your parents anymore. This is now testing your moral code to an extent to see, you know, do I actually know how to survive on my own? I'm still learning. I'm still, you know, getting some book knowledge and things like that, you know, but you know, can I handle all this alcohol and drugs and sex around me? Can I handle, you know, keeping my my room clean? Can I handle being responsible and, you know, whatever rules the dormitory or the apartment or the whatever else it is that that puts in place? But again, you're still kind of in, in, in you're in a safer bubble than just being out in the workforce and being, you know, on your own in a house or an apartment. Yeah. So can some people make that transition without that middle step? Probably. Um, but to say that it's, you know, from a society standpoint from, or from an employer standpoint, the problem is, is that like every, just about every employer out there is looking for a bachelor's degree. And I don't think it even matters what it is, but they're looking for that. Oh, did you pay that four year debt to society? Otherwise I'm not even going to interview you. Um, yeah, I, I would say when, when enough employers agree that that's not necessary anymore, then the rest of society will change. But, yeah. um, you know, if, if, if most employees are, are requiring a bachelor's degree and you don't have one and you're competing against people that can check off that box, then unless you're doing something else or you have a different career path or you have a different goal in life or you want to start your own business or, you know, whatever else it is, then, you know, it's a matter of, defying the rules playing by the rules or waiting until the rules change interesting um somebody had said you know that it's not what you learn in college it's who you meet and i think you have a perfect example of that because that's how you really got started with your business right mm-hmm. through the i the it guy at uh, uconn yep so i guess i guess that sort of proves this point <laughs> it's not it's i mean what you learn to extent, but most of all is who you meet. You know, you make friends for life and the alumni that you meet and the professors. He said that, you know, I guess basically 90% of college students go to college and just get by. But there are things in place for you to be very successful. 
and take advantage of the programs that they have there. And it's not handed to you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, your classes are, or stuff like that, or getting your books, just getting by and going to class. Um, but, I, yeah. Well, and but I, that's no different than anything else. Yeah. It's, you, you need to take advantage of the programs that are there. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, the, the, that... The, the guy that I met that really, you know, kind of pushed me on my career, I could have just been an outside employee working at that fast food restaurant. And if I made friends with him, you know, I have, I've not been back to the Yukon campus for any reason, really, since I graduated in 1996. Um, I oh, wow. barely keep in touch. I was in a fraternity, but I barely keep in touch with anybody from the fraternity at this point. Um, so I would say you know, the connections are an important piece. But unless you're going to a Harvard or you know something like that where you're actually kind of paying to be in the classes with those people, um, yeah, I just went to UConn, so I don't think it it had that quite that same effect. Again, unless you're taking advantage of the programs, if you get into the you know the social clubs and the you know the political societies and all the all, all those other things. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we're coming up on 50 minutes, so I think it's good to call it. But before uh, we go, I'd like to ask you this one question. I've been asking all my guests. Uh, if there's one thing or one quote that you want to be remembered by, what would that quote be? Um, be kind and helpful to everybody that you meet. Um, and I think that can take you a really, really long way. Uh, if you put that first in everything that you do, then yeah, I really feel like the rest of it's going to follow. Wow. That's, I mean, it's simple, but great advice. You know, it's, it's what comes around goes around, right? Jeremy Von Flattern said something very similar to that. Uh, you know, I believe in karma, you know, it happens. So, uh, but it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to come and talk to me. Uh, means a lot. And, uh, you've been a great guest has been a great conversation. The 48 minutes have absolutely flown by. And it was great to meet your grandmother. Yes. Yeah. So the reason why we took a quick uh, break was is because she, she stopped by. Um, but yes. So if you guys are interested in uh, coming on the show or have any questions that you want me to ask my guests in the future, email me at knowledgeispowerri at gmail.com. So thanks, everybody. And I will catch you in the next one.